This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Hello and welcome to another programme. I'm Seb Lozier and this week we focus on some of the stars of next-gen tennis, past, present and possibly future, all set for big things once the action gets back underway in August. The first of the Grand Slams we have to look forward to is the US Open and we start with a young Russian who made the quarterfinals as a teenager at Flushing Meadows. Back from his recent injury problems, Andrei Rublev was on the tear with two titles already this year before the coronavirus halted his progress to a career-high 14th in the FedEx ATP rankings. So good was his form, in fact, that he told ATP Uncovered even he was a little surprised. It's, it's magic and it's unbelievable, but at the same time I understand that it's something unreal. Trophies in Doha and Adelaide meant two titles in two weeks. A standout achievement that Andre himself didn't see coming. <laughs> I mean, it was, I don't know, it was a little bit strange because during this preseason, I was thinking that I'm not working enough, I'm not working enough, I need to work harder, I need to work better. And every day it was like this, like, it was not enough, we need to do something more. Well, I don't know, every day was like this. I was thinking, uh, like, what is this? Uh, if I want to be on a good level, uh, and uh, this is not the game, I don't know. I need to do something better. I need to work harder. I need to have better attitude. I need to play smarter. So in the end, was, you know, the mood was like never enough, never enough, never enough. But in the end, when I started the season, everything was good. Oh, I mean, Rublev revs his forehand. I tried to work hard every day. I was not expecting nothing, I was not trying to think, oh, I hope I will start the season good. Of course I would like to start the season good, but I was not hoping, I was not expecting nothing. I was thinking, okay, I work hard, kind of like a machine. I work hard, I will try to do my best. If I lose first round, at least I know that I did my best and that's it. If, if I do my best and I do third or fourth round, okay, perfect, then it's even better. So in the end I was kind of in this mood and I don't know, I get a little bit lucky, I play kind of few good matches and somehow I win first Doha, then Adelaide. Again, it's the perfect start into the new year for Andrei Rublev. And to be honest, he's done it in style here in Doha. Straight sets all the way. And that's what it means. I remember when I played, I won Doha, most of the members of my team, they were telling me to pull out, maybe it's a better idea. But then I said, okay, why not? I'm, 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 I'm having bye there in Adelaide. I'm going to arrive there. I will still have two days. Let's see how I feel. If I will be completely dead, if I feel that physically I'm weak, I feel pain in uh, some, I don't know, areas of my body, we, we have time to pull out, but at least let's try. We, we never know. And in the end, we go there. I was feeling okay. I was feeling more or less fresh. And I said, okay, let's try to play. And 
I don't know, I won the first round, second, and like this, like this, I start to play better and better, and in the end I won Adelaide, and I don't know. I mean, it's something unreal, but of course, it was amazing to start the season in this way. Okay. Andre Rublev, he is champion in Adelaide. Held it together impressively in difficult conditions. Rublev's incredible return to the winner's circle this year is all the sweeter following some seriously hard work on the mental and physical elements of his game. Everybody has his own problems that he needs to face and to, to need to learn how to face them strong, to grow up. And I guess that was my moment. I never even win two titles in one year. And now I win two titles in a row, so it's something is not real, so I need to accept that it's not going to be like that. That it's happened is perfect, but I need to be in real life and understand that there's so many things to work on. When I will have bad days, bad weeks, how I will face them. This is now the most important thing for me. There is still mental part, but I think out of top 20 I'm one of the weakest. So we'll see, I'm looking positive forward and we'll see what's going to happen. In life, it's really tough to make me mad, but on court, I'm completely different. And then it's going another side of me that is starting to get upset. Everybody understands that you just need to be calm and positive, which is so simple and so easy, basically. No matter what's happened, be positive, do your best. It's so simple, but this is, I mean, the tough thing, I think. The future looks bright for 22-year-old Andre, and this man from Moscow is now a man on a mission. The main goal for this year is every day to be mentally strong, to be mentally always positive. Oh, what touch from Andrei Rublev. And now everything is good, so we'll see if I can keep improving, if I can keep this level, we'll see if the place where I am now, I deserve it or it's just for a while. We'll see. Oh. He's everywhere, Andrei Rublev, at the moment. And if I'm improved, I will play better and better. And that's like a simple. <laughs> Russia's Andrei Rublev will be hoping he can recapture his early season form when he starts back in Washington in August. On iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com this is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Back that way, oh. winner from Dimitar. Unbelievable tennis from both players. Well, I was in Australia and my parents signed me up to, to a tennis lesson when I was about four years old in Sydney. And that's where, where it all started for me. With three titles last year and a semi-final at the first ATP Cup in Australia, 21-year-old Alex Duminor has come a long way in a short time. I was born in, in Australia. When I was five, we moved to Spain for eight years and we came back to, to Australia for another three years and now we've been back in Spain. Um, we've bounced around a fair bit, but the whole family moved each time. Uh, it was mainly because of my, my parents' business, but uh, I was able to to learn a lot and, and enjoy the best things out of uh, both cultures. 
I reckon uh, as soon as I, I competed for, for the first time when, when I was eight years old, I've always wanted to, to be a tennis player. I mean, uh, I enjoyed it so much. Uh, and since then, I've just tried to, to play as much tennis as I could and, and improve it as much as I could. And fortunate enough to be in the situation that I am and um, playing with all these guys that uh, I grew up watching. I mean, a any time there was a, a Roger Rafa final uh, at a Grand Slam event, that's probably the, the matches that I would watch on repeat. I mean, non-stop, those are the matches that sort of gave me that hunger and, and drive to, to pursue uh, my dreams as, as a tennis player and, and to try and keep improving for hopefully one day be, be in that situation. Yeah, there's always uh, ups and downs in the journey. There's always bumps, but um, you know, you just gotta keep pushing through. It's not always gonna go your way, but uh, if you have the right mentality and, and you sort of look things in a positive manner, then uh, sort of putting yourself in the, in the right direction. And that's the most important thing. As long as you have an open mind and you, you keep wanna improve every single day, then uh, eventually you'll, you'll reach your goal. Every day counts. You don't realize that at such a young age, but as soon as you start maturing a bit and, and you know, you sort of have a couple of years more of experience, you, you realize that if you wanna be at the top and you wanna play against these top guys, you just gotta constantly improve. Uh, you can't be satisfied with, with your level and where you're at, you're always gonna wanna push for more and, and thrive for, for higher, higher rankings, higher level matches and, and hopefully um, beat higher, higher opponents as well. Well, I'm fortunate enough that uh, I'm with the, a guy um, who has coached me for, for 10 years, uh, as in uh, my coach Adolfo Gutierrez. And I mean, we've grown up together. Uh, he's watched me grow as a tennis player and as a person. And, and it's amazing to see the, the things we've been able to accomplish together. Um, and he's a constant reminder of, of where, I, where I came from and sort of the struggles that have occurred for, for me to, to be where I am right now. So I'm never taking anything for granted. Um, keeps me grounded. I've got a, a, an amazing team that sort of keeps me grounded and, and focused on, on the important things of life. And, and it's just as important to, to enjoy what you do every day as in uh, to, to work hard and, and pursue your dreams. At the end of the day, you, you gotta go home. You spend so many times, so many weeks just on tour uh, without seeing your, your family and friends. So whenever you, you go back to, to your home, really cherish those moments that uh, just having dinner as a family, watching a movie as a family, uh, hanging out with friends, all, all these things that you, you miss out on tour, you, you really learn to cherish them once you have them in front of you. And that's what, what I enjoy, um, you know, how, how fortunate I've been to be in, in the path that, that I am. I've been able to, to do uh, many things that uh, isn't normal uh, at a kid my age. I've been able to travel 
around the world doing what I love and uh, not many people are able to say that their job is their passion and I get to, to play tennis every single day of the year and um, pursue my dreams so as much as I, I love uh, hanging out with, with my friends and, and just talk about uh, normal things, in the back of my mind uh, I'm always grateful for for the opportunity I've been given and um, just gives me that sort of thirst of trying to keep improving every single day. I would love to be known as that guy who's uh, sort of uh, funny, you know, nice and really chilled out off the court, you know, around the uh, the tennis side where you can talk to every day but as soon as I step out on court to be that guy that will never give up, will fight until the end and, and if you really want to beat him you're going to have to sort of put me down. Like Alex Duminor, Denis Shapovalov started the year at the ATP Cup in Australia before moving on to Auckland the Australian Open, Montpellier, Rotterdam, and then his final tournament before the break, a quarter-final appearance in Marseille. Maybe the packed schedule is down to a new coach known in his own playing days as a workhorse. Canada's Denis Shapovalov enjoyed a breakthrough moment at the end of 2019, teaming up with Mikhail Yuzhny and claiming a maiden ATP Tour title in Stockholm. I feel like the end was really, really big, a uh, huge step forward for me. But I think it started even before Stockholm. I feel like, you know, after Wimbledon, I took a good break and kind of came back into, into tennis since, you know, I played Montreal first tournament back and it was the first time back since my run and it's kind of the start of me. So that just kind of gave me a lot of motivation and kind of remembered, you know, the passion and, and the fight that I have in matches and, and in tennis. And then obviously joining with, with Mikhail Yuzhny, um, I felt like he helped me so much from the mental side of tennis and, and even off the court and getting back into enjoying it and, and finding certain things that, that really helped me. So I feel like he, he definitely helped me a lot. It starting in August last year, 2019. Uh, when he played Winston Salem and uh, we just uh, meet each other again because before we just meet each other when there was both players in the tour and start to work for me it was uh, I can say first player uh, level like so top level and uh, slowly we try to work together. I felt like my tennis was was getting there and I really felt like like in Stockholm, I could have a good chance to, to go for, for a good run. And uh, obviously, you know, I did really well lifting that title. And, and from there, I felt like it was a big weight off my back. There's a couple tournaments where I lost semis, 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 and, and to kind of get over that barrier and, and eventually win the title, it was, uh, it was just huge for me. After that, the, the last couple tournaments out of the year, I was just kind of playing free. I felt like, like my goal was, was already completed, so it was just kind of about enjoying the, the end of the year and, and obviously I was able to, to really keep my form together in, in Paris and, uh, and really go for, for another great run. Shapovalov crashes through the doors of Paris. That whole week I was really, really zoning. I, I beat some, some really high level players. I think for confidence wise, it was, it was a really big tournament for me. Dennis Shapovalov playing his very first Masters 1000 final. Emotionally and, and mentally, it, it was really, 
moving for me got, heading into the offseason after that and having the Davis Cup, you know, and success there. It just it just all was clicking together and really got me motivated to, to keep working harder. And obviously, you know, I had a, I had a good start to the year as well, you know, beating, beating top players. So it's, it's great that it's been kind of continuous and I've been able to, to keep my form. And honestly, I think I think a lot of the credit is to, to Mikhail. I feel like he's really helped me with the consistency and just, just keeping that work, keeping my game sharp. And yeah, the, I feel like the teamwork has been really good. From my side, he can do everything well on the court. You know, the question about the consistency. Uh, but he's a great player. I mean, he, from my side, he has a great game, interesting game for the spectators, for the public. And uh, he's a little bit different from another player. If you see, he can make some really beautiful points. He can make some crazy points, and he can be really solid in some moments. So it's uh, his game is really interesting. Oh, Dennis. Okay, just when you thought that's it. What more could he offer? Here he is, he says, what about me? <laughs> Still smiling, he's trying to get this crowd behind him. And alongside Dennis every step of the way is his friend and fellow countryman, Felix Auger Aliassi. He rose through the rankings uh, before me, a bit older than me, but uh, you know, it was always a good example of what you can do if you believe in, in, in your goals and in your competence. And uh, no, he's been, a, he's been a great friend overall, so I think that's really the most important. It's like, uh, I heard him earlier saying that obviously, you know, tennis is a part of, uh, of our life, but there's going to be after and the, the, the friendship we're building now and the experiences we're going through is going gonna, is gonna to be great to, to reminisce on uh, later. Where I'm happy that I have a good friend in the circuit and I'm able to, to do other things with him than, than talk about tennis. It's amazing. I feel like for, for Canadian tennis, it's, it's huge not to just have have one one young guy, you know, but we have three right now, you know, with with Bianca as well. And I feel like, you know, just just for the nation, for for tennis itself, and in, in the country, it's just uh, it's so great. I feel like the the popularity has just grown so much, and you know, so many kids are picking up rackets. I know my mom's tennis school is getting filled up with kids more and more every day. So it's uh, it's just great to to kind of kind of have that and, and to have a buddy alongside as well. When you have a close friend like this on the tour, it uh, definitely makes a difference and it's, uh, it's really amazing to, to have him alongside. Unfortunately for Shapovalov and Felix Auger-Aliassime, they'll have no home tournament in Canada this year with the tour resuming one week later in Washington. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Still to come, we hear why Italy's Yannick Zinner has a backhand to be feared. We head to Brazil to meet the first player diagnosed with COVID-19 and to Austria to find a new young star on the Challenger Tour. But before that, this week on Tennis United, co-ATP and WTA hosts Vasek Pospisil and Bethany Matek-Sands we're joined by two of the more unique characters on tour. Two-time Grand Slam champion Naomi Osaka and the reigning Nito ATP Finals champion, young Greek Stefanos Tsitsipas. Vashik, today we have two amazing players joining us. Steph, Naomi, thanks for coming on. You guys have gone back and forth a little bit on Twitter. Tell us a little bit about your relationship and when you started your friendship. Uh, I think it was... Was it February 2018? I must be wrong. That's very precise. That's very precise. <laughs> wow. I'm... He remembers. Clearly, Naomi loved quite a Tuesday night. It was a Tuesday night. I honestly night. don't remember how it all started. I honestly don't remember how it all started. But uh, 
uh, shared a certain uh, vibe that goes into your tweets and I kind of get it. I was introverted as a child and very, very shy when I was uh, really young, one of the most uh, shy kids in my class and uh, I could never really express myself. Uh, and I kind of understand what goes behind that. Yeah, I guess pretty much same personality, uh, same uh, approach towards life. I'm not sure how to describe it, honestly. So, so Naomi, I know uh, you're pretty shy. So is your relationship with Stefanos, is it more of like a cyber relationship or have you guys, are you guys like talking when you see each other at tournaments? I don't know. Okay, I'm gonna give my, how it goes for me and then he can give how it goes for him. But I remember like, just replying to his tweets and stuff a lot and for some reason I can never really talk to him in person. It's really weird. Like <laughs> we just straight up ignore each other. It's but, but... <laughs> <laughs> True introverts here. So both of you are known to be deep thinkers on the tour. We have a little mixed bag of questions for you guys to answer. First one, does pineapple belong on a pizza? No. That was a firm no. I that would was the say... quickest answer I've heard. Well, I personally think it's a no-no. You're gonna say no? Yep. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree. I'm gonna say yes. And the only reason I think yes is because people love it. I think there are a lot of people that like it, so. That God like pineapple on pizza. on pizza or just pineapple? Because I'm I'm they agreeing with them definitely a no. Nobody orders the Hawaiian pizza though. Here, is that a Canada thing? Uh, maybe, it might be a Canadian That's thing. A Canada I don't know. People <laughs> love people love pineapple on their pizza. I'm not a big fan. I'm gonna invent maple syrup pizza then. Very soon. Uh, yes. Dude, have you had it? It's insane. It's uh, the best. Pineapple it's and maple syrup maple on pizza. Syrup I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. I put maple syrup on my pizza crust like just for the hell of it last week and it was actually really good. I'm not even kidding. That's a double fold. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm just watching error. Naomi's face and she's like, sorry. You know. <laughs> like, no. If you're bored, are you boring? No, no, no. Um, say a little bit just because that means that your mind is limiting you to like what the possibilities are but also I'm just gonna say no too because that's a very long conversation okay <laughs> if your food is bad at a restaurant would you say something Naomi go first uh, <laughs> um no I would just never either never go to the restaurant again or just order something different next time so you, in the moment, you wouldn't say anything. Would you eat it or would you just leave it? Well, it depends on how hungry I am and how bad it is, but I, I think I would probably eat it and complain the entire time. <laughs> but but silently, like to yourself or to who you're with, not to the actual restaurant. Yeah, I would never complain to the restaurant. I would just complain to myself. I mean, I, usually my choices are pretty good uh, most of the time, so I, I, I've never had a... <laughs> Encounter was just. Anyways, so it's actually work. you. It's about the ordering versus it's about the ordering. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What are you most likely to stay up all night thinking about? Naomi, go. I know you just thought of something. Uh, I. Uh, it's always about tennis. So probably like the last match I lost, because there's always a definite point that you remember, like that turned it around. So. Same for me, it's all about tennis. 
just thinking about that. If if I lose the day, I might stay up. I had nights where uh, I stayed up all night and I was just overthinking and processing what happened out there. So tennis related for sure. When you're 90 years old, what will matter to you the most? Oh, um, that's kind of easy for me. And just like my family. Nice one. Nice one. Uh, my family, my, I don't know, grandchildren, if of course I have grandchildren, uh, settling somewhere, you know, in a, somewhere in the forest or in the sea, have a, having a beautiful house, probably watch some tennis, some uh, Wi-Fi tennis. <laughs> somewhere what? in Mars or something. By then tennis. there'll be uh, virtual reality. In virtual yeah. reality tennis, yeah, man. We wouldn't have to train at that point. Yeah. We just have to think with our minds. Guys, Naomi, Steph, like, thanks for coming on. It was really interesting talking to you guys. You guys are two of the most interesting players on tour, so it was fun catching up with you. Thanks for being on the show. Keep rocking really it. Really appreciate it. Tennis United there, a new episode every Friday. Head to the ATP Tour Facebook and YouTube channels for every episode. This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. The biggest, baddest backhand on the block belongs to an up-and-coming teenager. Yannick Sinner, ranked number 73 from Italy, turned heads last November when he won the next-gen ATP Finals in Milan. His fluid, bruising backhand immediately impressed as he ripped spectacular backhand winners with relative ease. Sinner's backhand motion is as smooth as silk and the ball explodes off the strings thanks to exquisite timing and an efficient building of kinetic energy focused on the point of contact. Incredibly, Sinner hits a heavier ball off the backhand than Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Gael Monfils and Stefanos Tsitsipas. So, what specifically is so good about this wrecking ball of a backhand? Two things, spin and power. Oh my, I mean, that is just sensational. An emphasis ATP beyond the numbers analysis of players who competed in a minimum of 10 ATP matches on Hawkeye courts from 2018 to 2020 identifies Sinner as a peak performer in both categories. So, so good. We are watching a very special young man. Adding spin to the ball helps create more margin for error and in turn allows for more power to be added to the shot as the spin helps keep it in. Sinner was the leader of the pack in hitting the most spin off his backhand wing, averaging 1,858 revolutions per minute from 17 matches in the data set. The leading five players in the spin category were Yannick Sinner, followed by Martin Klesan, Felix Auger Aliassime, Pablo Cuevas, and John Milman. Out of the current top 10, Gael Monfils, Stefanos Tsitsipas, and Daniel Medvedev led the way. Rafael Nadal was first in the big three with the most backhand topspin, followed by Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer. 
who traditionally employs more slice backhands than the others, which lowers his overall rating here. Delivering a brutal backhand is no problem for the teenage Italian, as he had the fifth highest average on tour, with the backhand speed averaging 69 miles per hour. The leading five players in the data set were Nikolaus Basilashvili, fastest at 71.2 miles per hour, followed by John Milman, Rafael Nadal, Hugo Humbert, and then Yannick Sinner. Dominic Team led the current top 10 with an average backhand speed of 67.4 miles per hour, followed by Djokovic and Alexander Zverev. Federer was around middle of the ATP pack, averaging 66.1. The average backhand speed for the 94 players in the data set was 66 miles per hour. That backhand is solid gold tonight. Sinner's backhand came to play in Milan. It already has the hallmarks of one of the most lethal shots in our game. Our thanks to ATP Uncovered and Emphasis for that analysis. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. Question. What does young Brazilian Thiago Sebolt Vilch have in common with Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal? Answer. They were the last three players to scoop tour titles before the season came to a halt. Djokovic claimed his fifth Dubai title, Nadal his third in Acapulco, but for Sebolt Vilch, it was a maiden tour title with victory over Casper Ruud in Santiago, Chile. Josh Mizels spoke with the 20-year-old who was hunkered down in his base in Rio. Life has changed a lot, so we gotta we gotta get used to it. It's it's been really different. I mean, when we go to the to the supermarkets, we we can't keep ordering food because I, I mean, basically nothing is opened here, and some governors, they, they, they want to open stores. They want to make us live a normal life. Others don't. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it because if everybody gets it, it could be a mess. The hospitals would be, they, they wouldn't do the job. And I think we got to take as much care for as we, we can. For those who don't know, Tiago was the, actually the first player to contract the COVID-19 virus back in March. And I just want to let you know that we're all thinking about you and we wish you well. Um, I know it wasn't easy for you. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have a message for all those workers who are fighting really hard to save lives and, and everyone who's, uh, who's battling this virus? I think not only for me, but for everyone, we should all thank them all because without them, we probably would probably be all stuck at home, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to, how to proceed and, and nobody to take care of us. I think that the people who's been, putting them, themselves out there for us. It's its a really great thing. Some of them died, some of them lost families, and and mainly they, they stood up there and they showed everyone that we can actually fight for it. And if we fight for it, the world's gonna get better and get back to normal again. So Tiago, where are you now and what have you been up to lately? I live in Rio, it's been a few years already. And I, I, was at, I was in the South, in my hometown, for about two and a half months. 
it was really nice to stay all that time with my family. I think it had never happened before in my life. And it was really nice to be with them and, and have fun as a normal person with, with a family for a first time. But getting back to my training routine is it's amazing. It makes you feel great. It, it gives you something to look up to, you know. You follow a, a daily schedule. You basically have something to do the next day. You talk to your coaches and, and the trainer or so, whatever you're going to do the next day. I try to do my fitness and, and stay fit because I've gained a few a few pounds actually. I've, I'm, I'm I'm a little. You're not I'm, the only one. <laughs> I mean, I train for two hours and I'm already done. Like I'm, I've got my tongue out and uh, I'm trying to take care of myself for now. What is your training routine now looking like? Well, uh, actually, I'll just tell you everything that I do every day. I wake up at 7 a.m. I take the dog for a walk to do her stuff. And, and then at 8.30, I have to be at the academy to, to stretch and warm up so I can be ready for, for practice at 9. And then I practice until 11, 11 something, and then I do fitness until almost 1 p.m. But that's going to change in a little bit because I'll have to start training on, on both periods in the morning and in the afternoon. I think that getting back to, to normal life is what we really look for. It's going to take a while, but let's make it as, as, as normal as we can. So switching gears, you were playing the best tennis of your career before the tour was suspended. You won your first ATP title in Santiago. You got up to a career high of number 113. How anxious are you to pick up where you left off and get back on court? We are should not worry about tennis right now. We've got to worry about taking care of our families and, and staying safe because if you, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to play tennis. So you've got to have your, your priorities pretty clear in front of you. Many players dream of lifting a trophy on the ATP Tour, and now you've done that. Now that you've had a few months to reflect on that, how do you sort of explain what you've achieved? Honestly, it sounds really weird until, until now. It, Kinda of took me a while to realize what what I did in March, and it was a dream came true for me. And it's something I've always had in my mind that I wanted to do as soon as possible. And the next goal would be to break into the top 100. But winning an ATP Tour event is it's amazing. It's just a dream. This all started late last year. You had an amazing run in Guayaquil on the Challenger Tour. You won your first title there. Uh, and then you had a pretty good run in Montevideo the week after that. Taking all that into account, how do you how do you sort of explain what you've been able to achieve recently? It's the hard work I've had in my life. It's all the sacrifices I've made paying off, and it's really something everybody should look for: giving your best on the court, working hard as hard as you can, and and leaving it all in there. So it, it may not come in a month. It may not come in two months, but it, I can assure you that sometimes you get paid for what you did. You, you'll be happy for what you, you've achieved. And, and most important, when you know you gave everything and the result you wanted didn't come, you should, you should also be happy about it because it was the best you could do. And who knows if next week you're not going to win it. Tiago Sebolt-Vilch, definitely one for the not-too-distant future. Another young player who was in amazing form earlier this year was Austrian Yuri Rodionov, who won challenger titles in Mexico and Dallas. 
and has also had some pretty fierce competition even during lockdown. Since May, um, I've been practicing uh, tennis once a day and uh, fitness as well. So I already have like my, my daily routine as usual, but just uh, not that much practice. So it's just like two hours a day is enough. Who are you hitting with? Uh, right now I'm hitting like with all the Austrian guys, with Dominic Team, Dennis Novak, Sebastian Ofner, Lukas Miedler. Things are looking very good. What has that experience been like to hit with those guys and finally get back on court? It was amazing. Like the first day, I remember uh, I started playing, I started swinging, and I was just, I was just smiling, like I was laughing, just because I finally could do my job again. Like the the, the thing I loved the most, it just made me happy. It was just like a really amazing feeling after like two two and a half months to play again. Uh, was really nice feeling. Speaking of that, you were absolutely dominating in February before play stopped. You won back-to-back titles in Dallas and Morelos. Talk a little bit about how frustrating that was for you to have to stop playing. Obviously, it, it couldn't have been a worse timing than that. But, you know, I accepted it. It's it's fine for me. I know, like, uh, I, I had a good rest now for two months, knowing that I was playing very good recently. And now I can start playing again, knowing that I stopped at a very high level. Were you playing the best tennis of your career in February? Yeah, I think mentally, obviously, yes, I was mentally very strong, uh, just very stable. Uh, from the tennis, could be better, but uh, it was still very good. I think uh, I teamed up with Javier Frana uh, at the beginning of Morelos. A lot of credit to him. Uh, I think without him, uh, I would be standing 160 right now in the world. So um, I think just we both as human beings just work really well together. Uh, I think we understand each other very good. And I know what he wants from me and he knows what I'm capable of on the tennis court and off the tennis court. So it just worked out very good. Yuri Rodionov, one for the future. And to hear my recent chat with his better-known compatriot, I'm sure he won't mind us saying that, world number three, Dominic Team. Head to our podcast back catalogue where you will find Dominic among many others. That is it for this week. We'll be back next weekend with more exclusive interviews and features. In the meantime, don't be shy. Head to our page on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review or get in touch on Twitter. That's at ATP Tennis Radio. From me, Seb Lozier, thanks for listening. Catch you next time. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review.